Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, this is Tim. We don't have ads. Well, now we do. This is an ad. We <laughs> ask for you to please tell a friend if you're enjoying our show. And of course, leaving a review on iTunes helps out tremendously. It'd be awesome if you guys could do that. Either way, though, we thank you for being here. On, on with the, the show. turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. <laughs> Hello and good day to you, Timothy Ryan Aslan. Hey, that's my name. That's my full name. Mm-hmm. Don't stalk me. I didn't need to. I know. Don't give people my social security number. Okay. Stop! Uh, Stop it! <laughs> Timothy Ryan Aslan the third. <laughs> Ought, 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 one. That's my social security number. That's a Simpsons reference, guys, if you're wondering. And yes, indeed. Hello, <laughs> guys and gals that may be listening, that, is, that are listening, because you're hearing this right now. Welcome and hello to you. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 113 of dismembering horror we Ooh. are it is this is you are in at the podcast show where myself ryan joseph mcduffie and <laughs> myself timothy ryan aslan that's right two ryans between us we talk about what worked for us what did not work for us and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. One that we've been wanting to see, one that we've been told we should see, one that we've been wanting to revisit, one that we just think would be fun to and helpful and fruitful to dismember and pick apart all the aspects of it. Whether it's good or bad, we always learn something or get somewhere in the end. And for this month of October, we are uh, following through with our tradition set by our year before, where we are covering <laughs> a series of horror films, as in horror films that are all part of the same series. That's right. We're, we're just over halfway through now. Well, I guess there is no halfway point, uh, but still applies. We're over halfway through the Scream series into Scream 3 from 2000, three years after Scream 2. And, uh, well, Tim, that's what <laughs> we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Boy, is it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to dismember it with our, our ghost-faced knives. Ghost-faced mm. knives. They're really, each of the ghost faces are very intentional about being sure to have the right knife. Do you hey, think? <laughs> there's like one store Do you, they all you, shop at. Can you see like, you know, Billy Loomis's mom from the second one being going, no, no, it's not the right knife. You know, like, <laughs> it's funny. But I'm glad they stay true to um, upholding. I guess details are important for tor tormenting poor Sydney and her. I crew. mean, if you're gonna go to that much trouble to try and kill somebody, right? In 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 honor of the first killer, you you might as well get it right. Right. Absolutely, and they do each time. Largely. It's pretty elaborate, like work. <laughs> right. Let's. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. As often, yeah, bad guys do. They're they're really busy behind the scenes. Um, they're detail oriented. Yeah, as they are, as they are in in, in all the Scream movies, including yeah. Scream Three. So, Tim, um, 
anything else you want to say about the where we're at, at with the Scream movies? Um, where anything you want to say before going into our trailer? I mean, I feel like we. we I think that we're we're about to we're about to get on. We're Fonzie, and we're or yeah, Fonzie, and we're about to get on the motorcycle. Uh, to to like literally jump the shark. So that yes, so uh, just just I am a Happy Days fan, so I can clarify all that all that reference for you, Tim, if you're ever curious. So <laughs> Fonzie jumping over things started with I believe it was like season three earlier on, where he does yeah. jump in his motorcycle over not uh, 13, but 14 trash cans beating the previous record of 12 <laughs> trash cans because he says 13 is an unlucky number. That's right. He makes it successfully, but That's crashes. a cool episode. It's good, and he cr- but he crashes into uh, the, the fried chicken stand, I believe. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, a win and a loss in that sense. And then we have him jump the shark, which uh, over skis when they're going on their little vacation thing. That's right. That's right. That's, that's right. where that comes from. But then oh my, my favorite God. is seasons later when they go to a dude ranch and it's like a two-parter. And <laughs> he he uh, he's not so much <laughs> jumping over anything, but he's flying off a cliff. Like I forget oh, yeah. exactly how he ends up in that situation, how he loses control. But it's great because the cliffhanger, you can imagine back when it was live, you couldn't see, didn't know what was happening. It's great. He like flies off the cliff and he does this Fonzie scream, much like um, much like Sarah Michelle Geller's like slow down screen or like you know, slow down fall, but regular speed scream <laughs> right. at the end of it or during scream two. Except it's Fonzie's. Fonzied, he goes, Hey, <laughs> it's <his>, like scream. <laughs> it's so amazing. Uh, oh man, of course, the he's good fine. old days. Anyway, um, some would say the happy days. <laughs> you so I really trying not to talk it so up, but you say jumped the shark. Um, but man, like. I don't know. Scream 4, we have Kevin Williamson back. I, I really love it. I'm really not trying to like hype it up too much. Like I don't know why you have it so fixed that just because one sequel goes a bad direction that that sets a precedent for all following that's fair, ones. That's fair, because I haven't fair. seen 4. Yeah. But like, why should that be if there's uh, one bad entry in a, ser- in a series that all the ones after that have to be bad by default? I don't know if I would go that far as to my implication, but... okay. Well, it sounded like it, so I just... (laughs) Let's put it this way. Of the three we've seen, I think this one is the least good. Great. I'd agree. (laughs) And we are going in order here and uh, rediscovering these films in order. So um, it it has been fun recording it this way, where we watch it, then record, watch it, then record, versus like Mm -hmm. having the context of them all. We uh, save some suspense that way. Yeah. All right. Well, enough Happy Days Scream crossover talk. Should we watch the trailer? I mean, Henry Winkler was in the first one. <laughs> yeah. Remember, everybody, Let's. there's a thread here. <laughs> there is. All right. Always a treat to see him in that one. And he's <laughs> he makes a, he makes his moment out of what he has. It's great. That's he's right. It. All right. Cool, yeah. Let's watch the trailer. All right. Here we go from 2000, Scream 3. Hello. Hello. Do you like scary movies? Number one, 
the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. What do you know about trilogies? Well, all I know about movie trilogies is that in the third one, all bets are off. Hello, Sydney. Welcome to the final act. There is one mystery more terrifying than you know. Who is this? Do you want to have this conversation with a polygraph? Is that a threat? When it's a threat, you'll know it. Was that a threat? There is one secret that can never be revealed until the end. Anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you, Sid. From suspense master Wes Craven comes the trailers man i remember <laughs> seeing that trailer in theaters and i remember seeing scream 3 in theaters i'm just going to use this transition my relationship experience with tra- scream 3 because for what okay for whatever reason this was like i bought the dvd of it at silver screen video i remember used for like 10 bucks which that was like such a huge deal at that this point in DVDs. Like, whoa, a DVD for just $10? It was kind of like <laughs> that stage, yeah. you know? And it was probably still but pretty close to a new release. But they had it, and I'm like, I remembered, you know, just liking it just fine and thinking it's a Scream movie. I remember liking it. So I bought it. So this, because of those circumstances, this is the Scream movie I've seen the most. So oh, it has wow. a weird kind of bit of nostalgia factor going for it certainly more. the one i've seen the least of <laughs> yeah. the ones i've seen right right um but anyway it was just it was a trip watching just because i remembered it has been forever since i've seen it but i had seen it so many times but i remember it came when, out in in oh two you said 2000 oh in 2000 oh so i was in college it um but I remember seeing that teaser trailer and just getting in theaters and just being so excited with just like the those those scream shapes and, and effects coming up on screen. It was just it's just still exciting. Oh, new scream! Oh, it's great. Yeah, I must have I must have seen it in. Oh, what was the town next to my college? Sounds like Watertown or something like that. <laughs> Sounds like a, a town like Woodsboro, you know, like a little. Yeah, I mean, really, it little, was, it was just college adjacent sort of, town. Yeah, exactly. Like suburban little whatever. Um, they had a really small movie theater over there with like three or four screens, small screens. Um, so you saw this? I saw a lot of movies there actually, obviously during college because it was the only theater around. And I'm pretty sure I saw it. I must have seen it there. Right. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember walking out and talking about the barn scene. <laughs> Tim's favorite barn scene. I'll just to clarify, you know why I thought of like my brain was like it's a barn is because when they're on the set, and Sydney's being chased through her house, but the set version of her house. And she opens the door that leads to nowhere that's just over the bedroom. For some reason in my brain, I translated that as like one of those upper barn doors that like you see like in the hayloft of a barn. Yeah. With like a little crane you know, and you'd toss the hay bales out or whatever. I just, for whatever reason, my brain decided to make that association. And so since it's been 20 years since I saw the fucker. Tim's uh, 
personal, highly incidental experience uh, memory. That's right. Watching this film, I just want to make I want to make all people these understand <laughs> why I kept saying barn in the last couple episodes. Well, now we can all rest easy, Tim. <laughs> Thank. I'm glad. So, so we. If watched... you need any other clarification, please well, tweet me. Could you clarify, Tim, how you would rate this film per our rating system? Would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I mean, I, I I would rent it. I think it's fine. You know, it's fine to see the third installment and whatever. I just don't think it's as good as the other two by kind of a long shot. So it's fun. Yeah. It's not bad, but it's not good. So it's a rent. I'd be like, yeah, sure, rent it. You cool. know what, Tim? Those are... I'd, I'd agree exactly. Almost like word for word. I do have that bit of a nostalgia for it. I think it could be like a box set buy. But Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I agree with that like, for sure. Oh, yeah. If I'm going to have one, two, and four, yeah. and maybe five someday, I'm not just going to not, you know, right. scream three. Um, but no, as a film... Uh, you know, I, yeah, I feel like this one. I just want to settle with a rent it, just because there is there is a a marked difference between the others. Yeah. I think. Well, I mean, we'll get into it, obviously, but uh, a bu- like so the first two we basically had nothing that didn't work for us, right? Like essentially, the thing we were kind of reaching in for the second movie of things that didn't work, like, like they, moments, like exactly. This one, there are distinct problems in my mind with this movie. And in fact, one of the things that I said in the last episode of of Scream 2, the only thing that we had to say in Things That Didn't Work was me saying something that almost didn't work. Right. <laughs> it, that exists in this movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. What are we doing? They made the mistake they almost made in the last one. So, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so we'll get into it. Um, cool. All right. Well, I'm trying to think. I was going to ask if there were any. Um, just wanted to know what your experience of the surprises were and the twists were, but maybe you could include that in the summary. Cause sure. Because we got to do our summary. Um, yeah, so I like this setup a lot. We kind of shift gears into cotton, like like where cotton is post the events of scream two and he's gone hollywood (laughs) that's a good way to put it (laughs) so he's got like a talk show and you know he's sort of a mid middle of the road celebrity he's got a cool celebrity guy a a cool white jacket (laughs) oh yeah he's all in white you got to be all in white if you're gonna potentially die um and he's still kind of it's like he's he's kind of arrived at what we always thought of him as, which is like a sleaze ball, like yeah. a sleaze ball-y creep. Now he's kind of there. He's he's like actualized into that thing. All his wildest dreams have come true. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh and then he becomes the target of of Ghostface. And so he gets killed, but for a very specific reason. Ghostface wants to know where Sydney is because Sydney has gone dark she's nobody she's like changed her name she's moved somewhere and nobody knows where she lives she's th- and this is a part of the setup of the movie that i actually really like she's locked down 
very cautious, lots of security, got a dog in the woods. Like it's actually very much kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis in the, the Halloween movie, right? Like it's a little, it's not quite as intense as that. She's not shooting mannequins in the backyard, but like, you know, it's the precursor to that. And so I was like, Oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Makes sense as a continuation. Yeah. Her character is evolving as you would. Yet still um, uh, ripe with, you know, we don't, it hurts to see her that way. So we know there's there's room for character growth and change in a way, but at the same time wrestles with that that idea of protection versus um, living your life with other people. Right. But she's she's altruistically evolved too, and she works as a, uh, essentially a suicide hotline call or what do you call those people? The person who answers the phone. It was just um, a woman's crisis hotline. There you go. It, though it was sad not to see her. I mean, it fits for her. I love that she's doing that. It made so much sense sense and felt right. But like her her acting dreams that were set up in Scream 2. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. She's, yeah, she's living. I mean, it presumably is somewhere near Hollywood because it doesn't take her long to get there when she does. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it was shot in Topanga Canyon, so. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, so, um, all right. So, she gets sucked back in. Basically, that's it, right? Because once Cotton dies, you know, the police recruit Gale. Well, the, um, yeah, the murders. I, I, yeah, just like, yeah, the, the murders start happening again in order. They're killing the characters in order of how they were killed in the first one in the production of Stab 3. So the actors that are portraying right. the characters from the first one in the, during the in-production Stab 3 is... Uh, that Dewey, Dewey is advising on. Yeah. So that's what pulls pulls them all out. And when Sydney gets a call from the killers, he's like, "Well, he's found out my deets. I'm not safe here anymore at my house. Yeah. So might as well be might with might as well help out." Yeah, I would. You know, just rationally speaking, if I were her, I think I'd take a different tact. I think I'd just disappear more. <laughs> but yeah. whatever. Then you wouldn't have a movie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So so then, you know, we kind of meet all of the, the characters that are uh, living in and working on Stab 3, producer, director, all of the actors who are playing characters we already know, and get some fun stuff with the Gale, you know, uh, oh, what's her name? Parker Posey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's playing Gale. Uh, she's fun. Uh, the the new Dewey is... is kind of funny and kind of a dork it's funny how he's so not dewey exactly he's like a handsome dude and he's like whatever he's fun um patrick dempsey as mark kincaid (laughs) detective kincaid they might as well have called him detective uh suspicion like (laughs) like we're supposed like the whole movie is just us like them trying to get us to think that he's the bad guy. Right. But it's not him. We learn it's it all. Not. It all wraps up where it's the the finale takes place at the old Hollywood mansion that belongs to the producer of the Stab films. And we learn the backstory of this producer is that he produced a string of horror films, low budget horror films back in the what 70s, 80s, whatever, starring uh, Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mother under a pseudonym. 
So right. that ends so it's up being all connected. Right. So this ends up being the sort of the, the the expanded background of the lore that we learn. And then almost in a twist, it turns out it's a single killer versus two people like the other two. Um true. the first two. And the killer is Sydney's half brother who was not just estranged by their shared mother, but um when he tried to reach out to her, uh basically re- actively rejected. Yeah. So so he planted the seeds of the first murder by showing the footage of how uh their Billy's mother dad. Yeah, was having the affair with Billy's dad. And then so that set Billy off. So he's kind of been the he's kind of, you know the puppet master. Yeah. Yeah. He's it, been directing the whole time. Right. He is, yeah, right. I should mention he's the director of Stab Three. God, <laughs> right. what, what did you think when he's like, I'm about to turn 30 and I don't even. <laughs> it's like, I died inside. <laughs> right. <laughs> I withered up. My already withered visage. Yeah, just right. Fucking turned to dust and blew away. It was just such a trip. I'm sure the, <laughs> the last time I watched this, I was like 20, you know. Oh, man. Um, but fun. Yeah. It was. It's a fun skewering of Hollywood in a lot of ways too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost want to just talk about why it sucks, but well, can it we... doesn't suck. It just struggles. Yeah, there's. It is easy. I wonder how much just just the missing Kevin Williamson as the mm. main writer. So, I, I mean, I think it 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 feels like it's missing. I that. feel yeah. I feel like that's what's what is missing. Um, it's Aaron Kruger, uh, who's hmm. who to his name to his credit, he wrote the excellent Ring remake directed oh, by cool. Gore Verbinski. Mm-hmm. But then he's also mostly known for writing three of the five or six Transformers sequels. So do with <laughs> that what you will. Well, I think you can you know like anything, it's. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't lay blame wholly on like individuals in filmmaking. You just can't. It's actually interesting. Like Kevin Williamson, you know, he had already written sort of an outline for a Mm. first three because he was trying to pitch it. You know, when he's trying to pitch the first one to studios, he's like, Hey, it can be a franchise. Yeah. Um, But what he provide, what his idea, what he wrote, like um, Aaron Kruger was working from an outline from him or some sort of pitch from him. And he ended up just drastically changing it. But I like the direction that they went. Like Kevin Williamson had it. So it was like still in Woodsboro. It was mm. another small town thing. But I really like it makes sense for a third bigger budget screen movie. Keep making it bigger. Change up the world. Expand the world. So yeah, I, I, that was all working for me. But it's always really hard to to come from source material that's so kind of like established. Yeah, he and, said, and like <laughs> toe that line. Like, yeah, can it, you can you make it some yours and new and like expanded without losing the stuff? And I think it's there are things yeah at times yes but at times no so it's it's right. very challenging from a writing standpoint Aaron Kruger he said he did like uh, you know read the the first two scripts watch the first two movies and you know did all that kind of research and um Wes Craven was he gave credit to Wes Craven for being pretty involved with with writing the script at a certain point um, okay so but yeah still didn't quite coalesce i think even though Scream 2 kind of was, you know, similar, had a similar fraught production, or I should say fly by the seat of their pants production, Mm -hmm. like this one did. For whatever reason, this one didn't quite 
all coalesce like the second one did. Well, we'll figure out why, yeah. maybe, perhaps. But Tim, first we got to talk about more about what did work. So you ready for that? Sure. All right. First section, what worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm. What worked? I kind of already alluded to it saying, you know, I always appreciated the change of scenery um, and how it it was expanding the world into Hollywood and included a lot of critique on Hollywood. So that's just kind of an overall thing that was probably most working for me. I guess, yeah, anything that was expanding the world. I mean, in a a few different ways that it was Hollywood set that it was, I thought it was really smart to set it around the production of not just Stab 2, but Stab 3. Just kind yeah, of, yeah. why not take it that extra level? And because it was great. So Scream 2, we ease into that meta stuff. We're not easing, but we we explore that meta stuff with the opening scene mm-hmm. and any clips of, of, you know, from the film of the Stab movies. But this, I always thought there's so much more that you could do with that, that meta-ness. So they are able to do it by setting it during the production of Stab 3. And it's just like that stuff of the actors meeting their real-life counterparts are just, <laughs> like we already talked about, it's, it's so much fun, whether it's Gale meeting Gale or Dewey working with Dewey. Right. It's great. And then that on top of, is this a critique on Hollywood, just kind of the, which is kind of, I don't know, tragically really tied to the, um, the company that produced these films, but the sort of the men exploiting women, men in charge, the sort Mm -hmm. of that, that sort of sorted Hollywood, hopefully more and more is a history versus a reality. And then I actually really liked, yeah, sort of expanding it kind of like what they, Randy sets up in this one of exploring (laughs) more of like, it all comes back full circle kind of thing. Like we're getting some kind of new backstory. Right. And, that is a tricky thing to make work because something feeling like it's too, it's too whatever will feel a little retconny in yeah. a way. But this one I thought what worked so well is the first two really sets up Maureen Prescott as being like a mysterious person with a mysterious past that we never quite get the full story of. We're just seeing her in pictures. It's sort of all about, you know, Sydney not knowing her, the dad we never hear much from at all. He's not even in the second one, you know, about Maureen. So I just thought this was a cool, nice, like little like, oh, her missing two years. What was she doing? I don't know. It just, it was, it all fit for me. Yeah, I think that's a cool, it's a cool sort of like, ooh, new information. Oh, like, like a mystery hole that you have to explore. Um, Right. It expands on Maureen as a, as a character. And then obviously she's sort of, you you know, it's like Sydney has to look that in the face and, you know, we get cool little dream sequences of how that's affecting Sydney's psyche. Yeah. You know, and she's be essentially being haunted by her mom. And we get fun sort of clues because of it where like Dewey recognizes the set there's uh or the the same studio that they're shooting Stab yeah. Three on is the same studio that Marine was working on, so allows them to confront the producer. Um I listen well, to- you you definitely too in this one more than the other ones, you have a killer who is trying to lead the lead the mystery 
Yeah. So like the killer is in this one specifically leaving clues, like leaving suggestions of why. And that's a new that's a new element. Like I think that's a cool new thing because it's like the breadcrumbs are leading somewhere. Yeah. Like it's it is actually leading to an answer whereas in the first two there are no breadcrumbs. Like the the killings are you know just dominoes leading up to the reveal of who did it. But in this one the killer is actively being like come this way I want to show you why. Yeah. And that's cool. I think that's a fun element to have. I I think it could be exp- well most of my like criticism of this movie is that I think they could have gone further. But like the things that they're doing are generally pretty fine. Like I love the fact that we are on the set version of Woodsboro. Like yeah, or Woodboro, Woodsboro, whichever. So like, yeah, I, that's sorry. awesome. I realized um, I kind of said three overarching things with just kind of rattled them off. I should have taken them one by one to get your thoughts on each one. But yeah, that aspect of um, being at the set of the house for the first one. um, Man, you could – I think that is – that is such fertile ground for exciting – like sequences. Oh, well, and it, I like that sequence. I, I thought it was cool. I, I like, love that. I love that sequence. Like, I almost si- was like, I want more of this. Like, like expand on that. I love that fucking sequence because yeah. it is that thing of like your Sydney now is in the the. It's not even just that she's having to be like reminded of the like her life in the first movie and the events of the first movie. It's that everything's just a little off it's upside down world of her upside down world from the first movie yeah that's fucking awesome like it's trippy you know i love opening doors that you think are gonna go to one place and they go to another place like that concept it it, like it can literally or literally yeah (laughs) like i love that thing you you get it in in movies where it's like more psychedelic or trippy or like other worlds type stuff like you know it's like the wizard of oz right you open the door and it's suddenly in color like that kind of thing is so exciting to me like the the gateway into other realms we've talked about this yeah and i think that they're they do it in that sequence i wish there was a ton more of that i think you could have you could have taken the movie in a totally expanded version of that direction. They didn't, and it's fine. But, like, what they did is really good. Like, all those little callbacks, her, like, putting the door the way that it needs to be. But, of course, that doesn't work because it's a fucking set. He just walks around to the other side of the room. Right. right? Because she, That's what's so great is she's treating it like it is her house and she knows yes, the layout but keeps getting I surprised. love that with, so much. By the I artifice of it. I think that is my favorite sequence of the movie by a long shot. Yeah. It's just so fucking fun. And then when she falls out of the window or whatever and off the roof, she lands in basically a crash pad. It's like, of course there would be. That's, <laughs> there's probably a stunt in the movie they're filming where somebody does that. So it's like it's it's got that kind of it's a it's a further version of the meta-ness we get in the second one where instead of watching the recreation version of 
the first movie, we are physically in it. Yeah. Like Sydney is physically in it. And that I fucking love that. I'm just trying to think since, yeah, I did write off these three overarching things right now. We're talking about what did the setting setting of uh, stab three per the production of stab three have to offer. Um, so yeah, that sequence, the, uh, even just like little touches and lines. I remember towards the beginning when the actors in stab three are saying things that would be in a horror movie and they acknowledge it like that. It's in their script of saying like, <laughs> forget, I forget what the line is. Something like, um, it's, uh, we'll be okay. It's a something to that effect of what a character in a horror movie would say. And it is the horror movie they're reading and they, it's the horror movie we're watching. It's just great. Right. Um, <laughs> and then of course, the characters meeting their actor selves, like the stuff with Gail and Gail is just so th- their energy together. Courtney Cox <laughs> and uh, Parker Posey, like we're cracking me up. They're so funny. And the way the movie kind of forces them to play detective together is so great. Um, but yeah, anything else for you that's specifically under that, like what did it being set in the production of stab three allow that you liked? Um, this is sort of connected, but like, I like, um, how would I put this? I mean, getting this sort of historical lore, like the old Hollywood kind of connection, like when you do a movie about Hollywood, you know, about film, you know, making movies in Hollywood, I think that's correct to tie in the lore and the old Hollywood sort of stuff into it. I think it's, there's just so much there for you to, to pull from. No, totally. This was the other thing I mentioned was the sort of connection and critique on old Hollywood. Yeah. So I think that just that, you know, going in that direction, I, you know, I think it's fun to have like, you know, when you leave the set, the actual set, you know, you get to see kind of the behind the scenes. You get wardrobe and you get the props room and we get to see a death in that room. Oh, right. Like, that that was like, pretty great when um they, you know, uh, was it Jenna McCarthy kept trying to pick up knives and they were all rubber knives yes, to fight off like, Ghostface. <laughs> <laughs> so gags like that, I think, are really fun because it's it's cool. It's like we are it's reminding us where we are, but there's so much that goes into making a film, you know, we get to kind of explore the behind the scenes within this story, which is, I think that's a really fun layer to put in there. Yeah. Um, we kind of, you know, in the, in a way we kind of get a similar thing with the theater in, in the second one, but you know, it's, it's the movie version of that in this one. So I, yeah, I like all of that. I think that's fun. I do think, we could have gotten more. Well, save that for our next section, Tim. I will. How about, um, you know, I mentioned liking the expansion of, or, or just informing us to the, the mystery of the backstory and Maureen's backstory. You liked all that? Um, yes. Well, what Most, did you like about it? I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that that's where we're going, that, 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 you know, you know what this movie actually feels like a lot more than the other two movies is, and they reference this, like a Dashiell Hammond mystery, like detective mystery, 
Uh, I think somebody in the in the movie has a Hammond book. I forget who it is, but they're like that's referenced directly. I think. Um, or like, um, who's the other one that I love? Um, uh, Raymond Chandler, like those old Raymond Chandler detective novels that like take place in Hollywood. And it's all about the starlet that like got murdered or is missing or something like that. And it's (laughs) twists and turns and it's all these misdirects. I love that shit. And so this has that vibe, right? Like it's kind of doing both. It's like, here's a modern fun, like mystery slasher in that world. You know, in the Hollywood, like, let's layer in the old Hollywood movie mystery, Humphrey Bogart kind of, you know, shit going on in a Scream movie. Mm -hmm. And like that, that's great. That's fucking great to do. Um, Right. I think that there's it's there's a problem in how much you can do it in this movie. You right? keep like, teasing us. You don't. Do, we aren't on the problems yet, Tim. <laughs> I can't help it. You don't have to clarify it. Like no. So like, I did love how that allowed. Like I mentioned the scenes with the two Gales when they have to like pay off Carrie Fisher and get the old file, oh. all that good stuff. Oh. When they go to confront the Carrie Fisher scene is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> when they go to confront um, Lance Hendrickson as the old producer mm-hmm. being a. Uh, being uh, partial and privy. And basically we learn sowing the seeds for all of this by exploiting Maureen Prescott. Um, I love to say, I guess, yeah, transition to the finale. I think that was cool. Like the, where the very final showed, I loved the showdown between Sydney and her half brother. I thought was so great. Just um, yeah, it's solid. It's yeah, a good fight. Cause, cause you have, it's fun. You have this sort of double cross where first he has the, the bulletproof vest then disappears. But then we think maybe she dies, which you do because it's set up that the main character can die. But no, it's so much fun. We see her that, uh, she does her, her, she disappears when we think she might have been dead. So we know she has the bulletproof vest. Um, she's so, so smart having the two guns on her. Mm-hmm. And that was just so satisfying when she did pull out the second gun. But yeah, my favorite part with that little, their fracas at the end. Um, I thought of you liking it too. But when it's, they're basically just screaming at each other, it escalates where he's, and he yells, fuck you. And she's like, fuck you. And then they just attack each other. It's so good. I love it. I love I, <laughs> I remember being kind of surprised at how like fun the actual fight is. Yeah. Cuz I don't think, you know, the other movies you don't really get like a real I mean, I guess you kind of get a fracas with uh the second one between her and um Loomis, Mama Loomis. That one But it's not it's not a it's not a good it's not like they're good at fighting. Right. In this one, they're both, like, good at fighting. They're, like, like it's, uh, well, it, it's reversal, 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 right? It's like he grabs her, she trips him. She gets the upper hand, he gets the upper hand. She gets right. the upper hand. It's like this back and forth is really well coordinated. Well, how you describe it, you know, he does this, she does that. It's sort of where the, the fun that it's pulling from is having them be sort of – 
equals yet sort of two sides of the same coin kind yeah. of thing where, you know, he's gone, you know, same, same mother, he's gone one route, she's gone the other. They're sort of same age and ability in that physical sense. It feels like, um, they've both been tricking each other in this final fight. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. And just how it escalates in that moment where it's just like the two, the, I don't know, the two, fighters bulls i wanted to say that doesn't make sense bulls just don't fight each other but you know like smashing heads like that sort of that yes. sort of build up fuck you fuck you it's yeah so good and of course i love the end moment when he comes back to life or whatever he jumps up and dewey puts like six bullets in his chest and and sydney is just going in the head in the head and dewey's like huh and she has Both, to say yeah. it like three times she and he and, finally goes uh, oh okay she and gail weathers are yelling at him the head dewey the head <laughs> it's and so it, good and we're just yelling just as much is why it's so right. fun i'm like what are you doing you shot him like yeah six times in the chest like what, do, do, <laughs> what are you doing dewey um Oh, it's it's good. There's How, some good Dewey stuff in this too. My yeah, my oh my god, this is my favorite Dewey moment, and probably all of them. I forget. Maybe there's one in the fourth that will beat it. But that it was in the it was in the little teaser trailer that didn't quite capture the tone of the moment, right? But um, when um when the detective uh says to Dewey something like, "Oh well, uh, how do you feel about me? Maybe we're just gonna have to put you on the polygraph test." And Dewey goes, "Was that a threat?" And then Detective goes, when it's a threat, you'll know it. And then Dewey gives this classic little Dewey pause. Was that a threat? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's fun in this, you know, like he's less a suspect. I mean, he's not a suspect at all, right? So we don't even have to worry about that. We just get him being him and being still mad at Gale. Well, yeah, their little their little love triangle thing is so fun <laughs> with, you know, him with and that it is with the Parker Posey who is playing Gale. So it's like, if right. he's not with Gale, he's now involved with the fake Gale. <laughs> right, right. And just like Gale, just the, the way she kind of plays being like, I don't know, you know, showing her kind of bitter slash soft side of being like, oh, you look pretty familiar in that bedroom, Dewey, or you look pretty comfortable in that bedroom. And like, yeah. he lives in the trailer. Um, that's <laughs> so funny. His little relationship we get a glimpse of of with the bodyguard played by Patrick Warburton. They do right. drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love also, by the way, they've they've done it again. Exactly 54 minutes into the movie, which is exactly the same time you get it in the first two. <laughs> you get a fucking scene with Randy explaining the rules and yeah! who's probably the killer. Randy's sister pops up with the tape. Oh, it's so good. I, I do. I have that down. Definitely. Randy's tape was great. The like, what a great way to work him in. And even they have that line in the beginning or towards the beginning where the cast acknowledges something about um, the movie, the fans of stab being mad that Randy was killed off. Just <laughs> yeah. like scream, you know, the, the real fans of scream too. We're all upset about Randy's death, but yep. um, yeah, no, his, his tape was great. It's fun way to bring him back. His presence mattered. Yeah, definitely. It's smart. Yeah. Um, I just what else? Well, I mean, I just want to mention. I don't know. Like, kind of alluded to it when I was transitioning into talking about the end set piece. But there is, there's just not. Don't want to try to do what you did and say what wasn't working. But like <laughs> the 
Sorry. The sort of the seriousness and weight of that final showdown between them being in the very theater, like the hidden like basement theater where presumably, you know, they're taking advantage of Maureen Prescott, mm-hmm. like that being the same room was a cool touch. You know, it was a good, was just, it, it, it brought that sort of epicness. I hate that word, but you know, it's appropriate that, that finality to it yeah. of here they are fighting off where he was presumably conceived, <laughs> you know? Now, can you clarify? Cause I wasn't sure that I really got this. Do they ever really imply who the dad was? No, and my I thought what that was doing was implying was that he maybe doesn't really know. Or so it's never it's never suggested that it's um Lance Henriksen. No, but I mean even I though it's like, Lance Henriksen's house. I feel like it he easily could be though. So the implication is that they were having these sort of like sort of orgy sort of like gang rapey yeah. things in in the basement. Yeah. And it could and it so so it could be anybody. That's was more or less my read on it, yeah. Okay, me too. I didn't I didn't know if maybe I missed a, a details accidentally there, but yeah, okay. Well, so, all right. Just I don't know, just made it well, you know, felt makes felt it appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, as it, as it should be for, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um so yeah, just as far as like, you know, we had been talking about how great in the the end set piece was having it on a stage and scream too. I thought this one did find a good way to sort of make the setting tie into what how we would want the final battle between these two siblings playing out with their history. Yeah, it's interesting. I yeah. Hmm. I uh I liked Sydney a lot in this one. Like where she's at, I liked her with her dog. Um yeah. As we kind of already, you kind of already said it, but just where she's at in how she was affected by the events in the first two films. And she just, Nev Campbell, I mean, I appreciate just her. She's really sells every scene that she's in. Like if I'm, when I'm watching this movie on like a sort of scene by scene basis, Mm -hmm. she's uh, brings me right into it. It's cool. Yeah, they do. You know, they're smart. They do a similar thing that they did in the second one where you really take the, the internal conflict that she's having, which is her relationship with her mom, like trying to sort of, you know, come to terms with being haunted by her mother, which yeah. is is a cool it's a cool place. It's it, it's appropriate. Like that's where she would be. I think it makes sense that her character would be there because, you know, she has externally really fixed a lot of the issues in her life or, you know, ostensibly has fixed them. But she can't get away from the haunting of the mom which was the impetus of her having to live this particular way right and so that's a really cool place character wise for her to be in relation to the actual external conflict which is the killer again and so like i think that's a cool uh you know evolution of the character it puts us in a different place with her but an appropriate place yeah and of course as it should be those two things the internal and the external do uh intersect with the revelation of who the external conflict the killer is and that relation to each other it's good it's really it's that's solid solid storytelling solid screenwriting solid character you know arc 
stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I quite appreciated that aspect of how they constructed this story. And in particular, her character. Right. You saying earlier, you would have just gone even deeper in hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I mean, hey, I think, you know, that would set up your character for being even more, you know, cut off from people in a bad sense. And you're right, we wouldn't have a movie. Um, but I like, I mean, I thought it was great what they did, which I guess kind of happens in Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's like so smart. We're, we're always just yelling like, well, why don't you just stay, like live in the middle of the police station and just stay deep in there? <laughs> like you'll be fine there, you know? Um, because so, because you don't trust Kincaid. Right, right. Well, but, you know, conceivably though, you know, like it it makes sure. sense. Like we we relate to the characters trusting him just enough. And Sydney mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, giving him the once over kind of thing. Yeah. Can yeah. call me, uh, I'll call you by your first name when you catch the killer, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I did, that was, I don't know. That just felt like a good way to sort of, I don't know, one, one more way you aren't, you know, yelling at the movie for, why don't you just do this, Sydney? I didn't um, find myself do- doing that at all. Well, no, I, you that's, know, which that's, is great. That's what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah, it's no, that's it's 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 actually a good, you know, uh, a mark of a good, well, sequel, tr- whatever. Third installment is that you're not reverting into like, come on, like, come on, <laughs> yeah. guys. And I, I mean, uh, well, it, in general, it does work too. The how the killer, how um, what's his name? The director, um, Rah. Roman, <laughs> yeah, Roman. Her, her brother Roman, how she, how Roman gets her to show up at the house at the end, like basically, yeah, threatening Dewey and Gale. Like I, I got it, you know, I, it justified her getting up and leaving um, versus, you know, just wanting to yell at her. Also just remembered a little detail in the end fight that I loved a moment was the killer throws the knife at Dewey's head and Dewey, <laughs> Lucks out with his Dewey magic, gets hit with the butt part of the knife. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> sure, I've seen that gag before, but hey, I'm always appreciate it. You know, it's great in this. Yeah, it's probably in some like, you know, Hot Shots Part Do or you know, a Naked Gun yeah. or something like that. <laughs> it had that kind of vibe. Yeah, I mentioned Jenny McCarthy was super funny with her scene of basically complaining about her role and we totally get it but then having to read the lines anyway um and emily mortimer was so funny as the woman playing the sydney role right uh, in in stab um she was great and seeing her totally lose it at the end was just tragic and great um, yeah when she gets all mad that was a little frustrating in the end of them like always separating in the end even though they acknowledge they shouldn't but whatever Sorry, now I'm doing what you're doing. Um, she was great. Parker Posey just cracked me up. My lawyer liked that. You know, just her, her deliveries. Yeah. Just, just in how she carries herself was too. When they're going down to the where Carrie Fisher is at, um, solving their mysteries, like Gail walks in and like the door when Parker Posey walks in kind of like shuts on her a little bit and she like <laughs> like gets all kind of like notices it, freaks out a little bit. It's just, she's just funny. She's so funny. She is. Yeah, she's quite a unique individual. <laughs> she's great. Like everything about her is just so odd. Yeah. And, and like, I, but also likable, endearing. She's she's cool. I like yeah. her. And I kind of wanted to mention this more in the 
the second one, but hey, since he's in it, this one too, I'll mention it. But I thought Leah Schreiber does a great job just committing to the role. And I don't know, just, just I thought he's really good. And he's, um, and I just didn't really notice it as much because you do kind of hate him, you know, for his goals mm-hmm. in the second one and where he's at this one. But just uh, didn't want to let that distract from, you know, he's, he does a good job. He's a very, very method character actor, apparently. He is or good. Method actor. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love this is only something unique to the second and third one um, after the first one, because the first one can't do this inherently, but there's something really fun and satisfying in in these, the, the sequels here. That's the moment where each of our main players realizes, oh, you know, he's back. It's back. It's happening again. Like that's always something where it's like always as soon as they hear of the first murder or whatever, it's like, you know, there's the rational side of us that we kind of are sharing with them or wondering what they're thinking. Like, let's say Sydney at the time of like, oh no, this was just some standalone murder. It doesn't mean anything yet, but you always know, like deep down, no, they know you just see it. It's happening again. Yep. And there's just something satisfying about seeing that play out those getting those moments it's like oh shit here we go scream (laughs) baby yeah yeah i mean like i said i think overall a lot of the elements work like they're there's nothing wrong with i would say 90 percent 85 percent of like the construction of the movie um you know, the, the settings are all cool. The characters, I think, are good, you know, for the most part. I like that there's these little, like the little um, Carrie Fisher cameo. There's the Silent and Bob, uh, Silent Bob and Jay. Jay You're the like, only one who's ever called Jay and Silent Bob, Silent Bob and Jay, Tim. <laughs> so funny <laughs> yeah there's no, those I, two I, i'm glad fuckers. you mentioned i'm glad you mentioned that that's fun because that was like right at their kind of height too with like jay and silent bob strike back either was just about to come out i think um, yeah i think you're right i think it was just was about 2001 i believe so yeah so like those little nods i think are all fun um that's it <laughs> great well Let's. I think we're good to move on then to our next section. Kind of been alluding to things, but I'd love to really get into it here with our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> but, but... <laughs> But what the fuck do we care? Like, if you and I weren't, like, I'm trying to remember if me, Tim, in 2000 would have seen Carrie Fisher and, like, thought that was funny. You know what I mean? Been like, oh, ho, 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 cool. Here's what I mean. When you have a movie that's about Hollywood, like, we, we're, I don't know about you, but I've been told often to not write about the industry like don't make movies about movies i've never like don't make movies about like your experience in hollywood because it's 
inside baseball, right? Like, do you remember when I tried to explain to you what that term meant? <laughs> yes, I understand what it means. I just never heard it before. <laughs> now I've heard it a lot from you. Yeah, well, it's to me, it really, this movie, bleh, it really sort of stands on the, the precipice of, of two inside baseball. Like, some of these jokes are a little too, like, in the industry. It's like, who's it for? I don't think so, because they, that, like, that Carrie Fisher example, like, that, I feel like I remember being in a theater and everyone recognizing who she was. Like, it's not, it's not too inside baseball. I don't think like it's, I feel like it's just that level of like, we're mass audiences that they are yeah. familiar with it. Like, of course they know Star Wars. Of course they know Maybe Carrie it's Fisher. fine. Yeah. I mean, and of course they know silent Bob and Jay. <laughs> silent Bob and Jay. Wait, Tim, this is, that's a pretty specific thing. I thought you were going to, st- <laughs> what I'd love to hear from you to start off this section what about like bigger overarching like story things character things like setting like well you must have some of that let's get the big one out of the way which is what i complained about them almost doing in two you can't uh, well you can they did it i think it's a big mistake to have the killer be somebody that we've only met like once or twice like he has two scenes in the movie before he's revealed to be the killer two and a half. I mean, it's like barely fucking in the movie. And I think that that's really, that's a big mistake to me for, for one particular reason. The, if the impact of that reveal is empty to me when you don't know or have a connection to that character, right? Like, at least with Billy Loomis's mom, we had established who she theor- like who she was pretending to be. She even and gave so- us reason to kind of like her and trust her when she says to Gail, "You know what? You're right. I'm sorry. That was inappropriate." Right. And they and like remember we talked about this. This was those scenes were a. Ad- additional like they went back and added those scenes because it was the very last one that they almost didn't have with her right they knew you needed that like the audience needs that connection to this person and like you have leeway how you want to depict that character and like how you want the audience to connect to them that's fine you could do that in all sorts of different ways but like we meet roman for 10 seconds uh, we hear supposedly his voice on the call with Jenny McCarthy. Uh, we see him bummed out because he's his production's gonna get shut down, and he's almost thirty. Who gives like we see the of, pol- we see the police taking him away because of you know after the phone call we have a th- right. we have a few you have a few more than you laid out but but none of those scenes connect with us or more importantly connect with the lead characters of the movie and i think not having the the people we care about have some sort of connection to him in the story like interactive connection with him is a huge mistake because when he get takes his mask off it's too scooby-doo right like 
don't get me wrong, I love Scooby Doo, <laughs> but Scooby Doo's whole whole premise is you meet, you know, Mister Warbucker, the farmer, one time in the f- second scene of the fucking show, and then you spend the rest of the show with the fun and games and gags and whatever. And then you pull the mask off him in the end and you go, Oh look, it was Mr. Warbucker the whole time. It was very Scooby-Doo. You're right. And that's not satisfying at all to me. And the other reason it doesn't work and is not satisfying ultimately to me from a storytelling point of view is then we have to have him monologue his reasons for doing it and give us all of the answers to the clues. I hate that shit. I want the protagonist to be the person who is discovering the answers through their like force of will. Wait, I don't through understand their skills because we have those great what I think are great monologues from like Billy and Stu in the first one and the mother in the second one. Like they all have their monologues where they fill in those details and they're they're fun. Yes, I agree, but like when you have a breadcrumb sort of laying construct as we do in this one, you I feel like it's a mistake to get to the end without having the protagonist have figured out or at least think that they've figured it out before you get the the like the reason why. I think that's just it's tricky and it's hard to do well. Um but like I just don't I don't know those Sydney, those, those reasons don't th- here's what it is. With Billy and with his mom their explanation like their monologue of why they're doing it has context because we've been along with them during the movie. Mhm. That's what's missing. We can we uh, we can allow them to monologue because we are connecting the dots that they're explaining through the experience we had with them in the movie, which is really the experience that Sydney had with them. Well, I mean, in the first I mean, one, it's Sydney, and the second one, it's more Gail. Yeah. But whatever, right? Like, I, but I, we get contact with that through our protagonists. I really get in what this you're one, saying. We don't just, just I get what you're saying is just as far as sheer amount of screen time and just having that, those couple more moments of, is it, what do we think of him? Is it him? Is it not him? Because it does feel like compared to the other ones, this one went more the route of let's just kind of, let's just kind of hide him a little bit. Yeah. You know what I would have liked to have seen? I would have liked to have seen one scene when he's getting kicked out or taken away or the production is being shut down and Sydney is there I would have loved to have seen him lash out at her and been like, you know what? This is your fucking fault. My life is crumbling right now. My fucking life as a director that I'm like, I've worked my ass off to get to is fucking crumbling because of you. And that's such a fucked up thing for him to say, right? Because she's the reason he has a career in a way, but like, you get the, that it's a really, really nuanced layering of character to see him not be able to resist lashing out at Sydney in that moment because it's totally fucked up, right? She, he's projecting his anger for the fact that she got a mother and he didn't. Right. The only thing but when he's, we don't know that when he's quote like in character, faking not being the murderer of the whole movie. The only sort of. The, the only I think the only time we get him 
alluding or, you know, being prompted to say something about Sydney or Sydney even being there is when they say, oh, Sydney's on her way here. And he just goes, oh, the more the merrier. It's like he has a, him in character has a non-opinion about her. That's right. I think that's that's the wrong direction. I think that's where they they went wrong with this storytelling. I I think it's much better to keep your kind of bad guys in involved. And like I think it'd be awesome to see them having to interact a few times where he's just a fucking asshole to her. And like you can set up all sorts of reasons for us to not even suspect him as the killer. Right. He in can fact, say from the direct. Yeah, those those scenes, like if there are scenes where he's just being a fucking prick to her, we wouldn't think, oh, well, maybe he's the killer. We'd be like, yeah, that's he's a fucking dickhead Hollywood director like that to- kind of makes sense. And she is fucking him up, even though it's totally misplaced anger on her. Like she's definitely been victimized more than he has, which speaks more to the broader thing of the just douchebaggery in Hollywood. Right. Like the ego of Hollywood. Like it it fits. Well, you know, but. but- what what um what they could have done which is already there i maybe a little bit but her her not like he's been trying to track her down and get her involved so he could just have been acting um they could have had him as himself as the director being upset at her because she doesn't want to consult because she's not you know um Mm. you know because her file's hidden or whatever like all that stuff oh yeah I mean, I would have loved to seen him been like, oh, now now you can show up. Yeah. You couldn't, yeah. You couldn't answer my phone calls when I asked you to be a part of this. But now that people are kill- being killed, you can. Oh, thanks a fucking lot. You know what I mean? Like just seeing him have that point of view and that ego would have given us something to chew on. When the mask comes off, we'd be like, oh, and then he can tell us why. And we go, no wonder he's been a dick this whole time. Yeah. But with without that, it's too, it is. I just think it's too Scooby Doo. It's kind of cheap. I just think it 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 doesn't work in the greater context of the way the first two movies worked. And I think that like that departure and the emphasis on kind of this other thing, like we spent a lot of time up on in that ranch house that's in Runyon Canyon where Dewey's staying and, and Parker Posey's staying like that whole gag of like, that's we're that's our insight to like the Hollywood sort of thing. That's the joke. I think that that stuff is the weakest stuff in the movie. And we could have had this other thing. You could have had Roman there. He could have been in that part at that party being like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, now you're here or whatever. I mean, obviously, Sydney's not there. For well, apparently, but you he, know what I mean? He was there uh, lurking around dressed as Ghostface when he blew him up. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, so like we we're losing one of the key elements of the previous Scream movies, which is the uh, Ghostface showing up and then potential um, perpetrators jumping out from the bushes like moments later and being like is everybody okay right we just kind of get emily mortimer as that <laughs> coming kind out of, the bushes. of right kind of but should have had him too yeah it would have been cool yeah i mean that would have it you know and here's the thing if we're gonna do the thing where it's a single killer 
misdirect us a bunch into thinking that it's multiple killers. Which is built into it what we're already kind of almost thinking, assuming, you know. Right, but, like, let's lean on it. Yeah. They lean on shit in the first two movies a bunch to misdirect us. And this one just doesn't really do that. It only really does it with um, Kincaid. Yeah. You know, like, they kind of lay it on a bit thick there. Yeah, that, that was that was fun. That yeah, one, that one works. It actually. worked up sh- until I that. I fucking should have said that. That that actually really worked because there was a long part of the movie where I was like, "Fuck, is it him?" I oh no, it was like really it, susp- it was really suspenseful at the end when you when he's like you know sort of goading Sydney to put down the gun and trust me and yeah, it's like yeah. something about him we aren't trusting him still we don't know it was played really well. Yeah, I mean, what I think they could have done is misdirected us into thinking that it was Roman and Kincaid together. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what they did with 2, where we get to a point where we go, oh shit, maybe it was Derek and Mickey. Yeah. And they play off of that. They play off of that really, really well. They fuck with us. I never felt particularly fucked with in this movie. <laughs> it's what we and want. And that's a bummer. Right? Like, that's what you want in these movies. So, okay. You, you said your piece on all this because I had another yeah. pretty major overarching <laughs> thing. That, um, I totally agree with you. And um, hopefully between our two observations, we get uh, what was really missing the mark on this one. So, all that, so important. The other thing that I think is so important that this one was not doing like the first two um, it doesn't use the the meta-ness as a way to, uh, to to reach a certain level of of gravitas and weight. Remember how I like was freaking out about how good the opening with um, Jada and how impactful Jada Pinkett's death was yeah. at the beginning of the second one, and the way it did that was by meeting exactly where the audience was at. Here, Scream Three opens up. It's just kind of maybe like big for the scream lore or just, you know, as far as cotton as a character and what happens, but there's nothing going on in really the meta sense of it. Um, There's just kind of that. I'll just don't need to say more on it. The voice changing, the voice changer thing, which is just seems way too like mission impossible um, for this movie. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, you got, you need that. You need that in of meeting where the audience is at, and then sort of going that step past it. So then when Cotton dies at the beginning, that opening scene, it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's hitting all the beats you want of a slasher movie, but it's also feeling like impactful and like it is, you know, the consequences of real violence. Like the first two do do that. Like we feel the deaths because we have the meta aspect as an in to sort of being at that level. So like when I said at the big end set piece is cool story-wise that they have where, you know, the horrible incident that with Maureen Prescott and all the producers or whatever (laughs) sowed the seeds for all this thing, for everything that's been going on, all the kills, killers that have been going on, all the murders. Um, It just didn't have that weight that it should Mm -hmm. because of that. And I do see like a lot of the reviews on this. It's just because kind of like, oh, you know, just sort of feels like more, 
this is just more your typical slasher at this point kind of thing. Well, that's why, you know, it's, it is, it's fun and cool and you get to see the characters as slasher, but the first two really did have, um, that weight that this one's missing. You know, I already said it just because it didn't use the, the meta-ness was used in a really fun way throughout this and great moments and scenes and ideas, but it was never used in such the way to involve the audience on the level that I wanted. Yeah. Here's here's how I would have made it more meta. Emphasize scenes in the third act in particular, potentially, or maybe just leading leading into the third act where the direct. So Roman is a director. He's a insane, psychopathic director. Take advantage of that. Like emphasize what he like a director is somebody who tells the story, right? Have him construct all sorts of circumstances and set pieces to fuck with Sydney. So, like, direct the action of where she's going behind the scenes so that she ends up in the, the, the fake Woodsboro, right? And that you can really... I just, uh, how do I explain this? I would have loved to have seen scenes where, like, she's so caught up in in the duality of the set version of that place and the and her memory of that place that she we've established she's sort of starting to have hallucinations and whatever. Where she take advantage of that. We see it in the second one too when she's on stage. I want an expanded version of that on the set where she really is starting to flip the fuck out. And in the moment in those scenes, we don't know that Roman is pulling the strings. He's literally like guiding her around in that. To further it, I would have in the third act, when we kind of move towards a culmination of all of those things, I want to see like the movie that Roman has been filming and cutting together for the last 20 years. Like, if if it is true, I mean, it's in the movie that he has a camcorder and he filmed Billy Loomis's dad going into Maureen Prescott's fucking, like, whatever, motel room. Have a, a whole sequence where Sydney ends up in the viewing room where Maureen was raped and a movie comes on that fucking viewing room screen and it's a bunch of fucking footage, like, uh, that that Roman shot of Sydney at various times in her life intercut with fucking the old school footage of Maureen. And it's cut into a really like debaucherous fucked up thing where you've got like, you know, do, do kind of the thing that we saw in the black cat at the end where it's like, you have these specters of people that are looming into the camera and you like, he's a director. Like he could have, grabbed footage from the archives from anything theoretically you're right if he's if the whole if one of the kind of fun conceits in this that you're saying overall you just wanted things pushed further yeah if he's a filmmaker make him make a film that or treat this even more like like he is all the director of the situation by doing something like that so to me this is a really basic kind of rule in in screenwriting that i think they they missed a huge opportunity you have the bad guy who is a filmmaker and you had that character talk his reasons, talk the plot of why he did things. 
you could have had him cut together this crazy fucking like two minute film that he forces Sydney to watch that is super fucked up. And we would have been shown the reasons why he did it. He wouldn't have to say a fucking word. And like it's that show don't tell sort of rule, right? You could have done that. And man, can you imagine Sydney having to sit there like maybe he got her tied down to a chair like to fucking watch it and like holds her fucking eyelids open, whatever. Like to have her have to watch that, to watch a super cut of footage of her mom as a young woman from the films that she was in back in the day, super cut with like men in robes like – like raping her or doing awful shit or whatever. And just the implicate, you don't have to show exactly that, but you can imply it through this weird super cut. That's all fucking, it'd be so fucking like early two thousands anyway. Right. It, it, the, the kind of late nineties to be honest, but whatever you do, if you do that thing, you're accomplishing a bunch of stuff that is already preset in this movie. You're integrating the, the disgusting misogyny and, and, and like, you know, the casting couch aspect of old Hollywood and saying that's not done. You're showing the filmmaking that is this sort of we're now we've gone Hollywood. Um, you're showing that Sydney cannot escape her past and she's having to really actually face literal footage of her mother. Right. You you get all these elements that are there, but never really coalesce into a thing that like is big enough for the third installment of a Scream franchise. Where the setting is, where the main killer is a filmmaker and it's all set in Hollywood. Yeah. Right, and then you accomplish this double like meta thing that really does actually, I think, support the borderline retconning of the story that we're getting. Yeah. Because... That- if you show, if you like, and we, you know, you could do this. You just, t- you just take footage from the first two movies as if fucking Roman was always hiding in the bushes, following Sydney around and like filming her. They have all that. EP- could, they have all that EPK footage. Yeah, exactly. So like that man, that's missing. I, I just think you could have gotten into this realm where it really is a spiral down into his madness and Sydney has to fucking sit there and watch it. Uh, I love that. That would have been so cool. Spot on. And it would have been true to Roman's character to have been kind of like, right. see what I see, feel what I feel. I'm an Artur. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the ending I'd like to see, but still the beginning it has to sort of put you on that level to be receptive to Mm. the weight of the deaths and all. So I'm just thinking like, I don't know. I could see it being rather than just like him and his girlfriend getting killed in his apartment, kind of like woohoo something that's maybe on set or in a rehearsal with cotton Mm. or like he does have a bit, you know, a cameo role in it. And there's just something with like, the ghost faces in the scene, but then is also the killer or they're screening something. To, I don't know, but using the yeah. set for the opening and just u- using the, that it is stab three being made. I feel like there's just something in there that could have been used for the jumping off point. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, in a way it's sort of just like, you know, we obviously don't know the circumstances of like budget and how, how, like what they, 
struggled with, you know, between what the producers are saying they want and like all of the, the voices that you have in any production. But to me, ultimately, it all feels like a watered down version of what it could have been. Well, there's reasons for that in the, that I have in things of note. Oh, great. But um, I will mention <laughs> I will mention one of them now because I do definitely want to mention this and what did not work. But kind of like how they it felt like with the American Pie sequels, it was like, dude, you don't need to make this the Stifler show. Like he was good in the mm. first ones because they didn't like, yeah, audiences may have loved him, but you don't need to make it the Stifler show. This one did turn into the Dewey and Gale show. I which, know. I of know. course, I love him. And I even, you could even have all the scenes or, or almost as much if there was more of Sydney. But if there's anything else, uh, if there's anything else you didn't have for that. Uh, well, or, I just, on that note, I totally agree with you. We got the Dewey and Gale detective show in two. And it was a perfect amount of them in two. It was totally. Great. Let's flip it again so that it is now Sydney really fucking diving in to who her mother actually was. If that's her fucking issue, that's the thing that she is trying to come to terms with. Make that those breadcrumbs of her trying to find out why her mom was who she was and like basically why the result of that ruined Sydney's life. I want to see her go down that pathway and end with Roman. Well, do you have, you anything? know, like we don't get it. So do you have yeah. anything else for what did not work? Because I can explain to you why that was. Okay. Um, no, just, just the thing you had mentioned was my only other thing. The voice box, the magic voice box. Is, right. It's not okay. Oh, and just kind of, that was annoying where at first I liked, uh, cause, okay. So I told you going into this movie, I couldn't remember who the killer was, but as soon as they showed Roman's face, I'm like, oh yeah, it's him. Oh, really? just, it just came back to me. <laughs> but then I doubted my old memory because sure. Gail checks his pulse, which should be the sort of self-aware, like, okay, is ruling him out. But then it was just annoying. That was a kind of worked then didn't work thing for me of like, yeah. well, that's, that's just a cheap way of ruling him out, you know, and then kind of no explanation of like him with still the fake blood on him or whatever. I don't know. It was just lame that she did do the audience thing of going as far as to check the pulse so we could confirm he is dead. And then he wasn't just felt a little cheap. Yeah. Like threw you, threw you off in the fun way. Okay. Well, yeah. So get into a bit of uh, a movie is put together. Next section, things of note. Things of note! <laughs> this should be interesting. From Wikipedia, Tim, Campbell's... <laughs> Campbell's commitments in particular meant that she was only available to film her role for 20 days, forcing the script to reduce the series' main character to a smaller role while focusing, shit. while focusing on the other characters played by Cox and Arquette. So, Well, Jesus. Sheer availability is why we didn't get that. Um, Damn. Actually, so before some more development behind the scenes things, I did have some just questions about the movie, Tim, what you thought. Mm. What was with Roman's big birthday party where there was like maybe like four other people there who were like all just immediate? Does he not have friends or was this just the way earlier side of the party and like everyone shows up as soon as the movie ends? 
Because there was a big banner that said "Happy Birthday, Roman," and everyone was wishing him happy birthday. What kind it's of birthday party Lance is Henriksen's that? In Lance Henriksen's house, right? And he's not even there. So th- that's my question, Tim. For is what kind of party was this? What kind of party was this? I Jesus, that's big enough the, for a banner, but only has a few people. The lamest party that Roman threw for himself, I guess. I, I like. I don't even fucking know. What we should have gotten is Roman – it was all a construction by Roman, obviously, because that's how you would have to do it in order to get what he wants. And you do all the shit I just mentioned. But if Roman created the whole party himself, that's funny that he, like, put a big banner up for himself. <laughs> he only invites three people. Everybody should comment and be like, where the fuck is everybody? Also, where's Lance Henriksen? Right, we're in his house, and then we should find Lance Henriksen's fucking body. Right, we should have in the abs- house. Yeah, he didn't even have to be dead. He was just tied up, if you remember. Sure, um, I don't but- give a fuck. But like, yeah, what is that party? No, no, you're right. Just have some sort of acknowledgement of like, <laughs> I oh, I don't have any friends, whatever. But I still wanted to put up a banner. Like, who put up the <laughs> banner? That's what I wanted to know. Um, <laughs> Seriously. And then we yeah, didn't, it's weird. We didn't mention the little epilogue at the end where it's like, oh, it was nice getting um I liked the 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 romance of uh Dewey and Gail yeah. and their proposal. Sure. And getting yeah, to that and they're together at the end. But, oh, I forgot to mention unacceptable bangs on Courtney Cox. <laughs> like okay. somebody fucked up. <laughs> like what? So that- <laughs> How much time Jesus. do you think passed between, you know, the the end the Roman's big party and the <laughs> epilogue? Because like kind of set up that, you know, hmm. what's his bucket, the detective was crushing on Sydney. But I mean, seems he's like at her house, yeah. Right. Seems like they're already all one big happy family at this point. Like how much how much time had passed, do you think? That's a good question. I, I would say that felt like about a month later. Okay. Just enough time for him to be like, I'm a person who hangs out here now because we're kind of dating. Yeah. And enough time for Dewey to be like, all right, things have settled down. It's been a few weeks. I think it's time I can pop the question because Gail's still here. Cool. Great. These these burning <laughs> so questions. Arbitrary. These burning questions I had that weren't <laughs> answered. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we already touched. There was... Um, Kruger, the other the the other screenwriter. So Williams' commitments, Kevin Williamson's commitments to other projects meant he was unable to develop a complete script for Scream 3, so writing duties were undertaken by Kruger, who discarded many of Williamson's notes, which at first I was going to be like, why would you do that? But no, they, as far as the sort of the core, what it was about, setting it in Hollywood, all that, um, Williamson didn't have that. Um, so I'm glad they went with the direction, but still curious to see. I don't know. It's just, you could just feel it didn't, it didn't have the same kind of, maybe it was like, that's partly by, it was sort of missing the weight. Like I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, but it just sounded like this was crazy production where stuff was always changing. They didn't know mm. how things were going to be. They'd shoot multiple versions of a scene just for different like options mm. because they didn't know how it would end up turning out. Um, That's not a good sign. My favorite, yeah, this was my favorite little uh, tidbit of what an earlier version of the story and who the killer was would have been. Um, 
says again from Wikipedia in a 2009 interview, Matthew Lillard, who played Stu in Scream, said that he had been contracted to reprise his role in Scream 3 as the primary antagonist, having survived wow. his apparent death, orchestrating new ghost face attacks from prison on high school students and ultimately targeting Sydney. Um, <laughs> following the Columbine High School massacre shortly before production began, the script was scrapped and rewritten without his character and his plot to avoid development of a film which associated violence and murder with a high school setting. So, all right, yeah, and actually, so it was kind of um, the effects of the Columbine massacre that um, that were directing a lot of the behind the scenes sort of um decisions being made or different, you know, com- people coming from different directions where at one yeah. point the studio was demanding that they didn't show any blood or on-screen violence and Jesus. that they, they wanted to focus sort of entirely on this, uh, the satiric humor kind of thing. But yeah. Wes Craven, <laughs> Wes Craven was said, quote, be serious guys. Either we make a scream movie or we make a movie and call it something else. But if it's a scream movie, it's going to have certain standards. Yeah, that's, um, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, pretty interesting. We got a drastically different movie as a result of those real life shootings. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That was a big fucking moment in yeah. time. I've been really wanting to watch uh, Bowling for Columbine again. That was good. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, that's kind of what, what I got for behind the scenes diddly-doos. I mean, I mentioned that the scheduling difficulties, pages being, uh, you know, delivered day of the scenes, all that. Yeah. I just, the only thing I, you know, I like the location stuff. And if, have you, you've hiked up Runyon Canyon, yeah? Yeah. In your life. So if you get pretty much to the top where the the Mulholland Drive entrance is right before that is Dewey's trailer it's it's a permanent thing there oh cool um and that house that that all of the pool scene and the blowing up of the house and and uh, putty dying that's all right there that's called like the Runyon Ranch or something like that it's just a uh, somebody's house that gets used for production sometimes it's cool I like it's that like house. The second I saw the trailer, I was like, I've been there. Been there a million times. Wait, what have you been there? You mean just going by it? Just walking hikes? by it. I've, I, you know, it's on the trail of Runyon Canyon. Like when Runyon Canyon splits and there's a Wait, paved area. I've only done running, like going from, you know, leaving in Hollywood. Yep. Um, so, and then so, going up to the top, which I thought was it. It's so it's not. So you know how when you go you go up Runyon Canyon, if you go to the right, it's the steeper way and it's dirt. Yeah. You you level off at the top of that and then you meet up with the road that then winds its way back down. Yeah. If you don't turn left onto that road and you just keep going straight, that is a road that leads you all the way to Mulholland Drive. It's just the extension of Runyon Canyon. Oh, I've never done that. On that road is this ranch house with the trailer cool it's like halfway um and i've done that hike i don't know a hundred times because i used to live at the bottom of the hill right there cool. so it was the closest hiking trail near me um so now you can say do we trail to see stuff you know you like you see stuff and you go oh, shit that's that thing i've seen a million times cool yeah. i know it's like one of the one things i love about 
living in LA. I loved uh, the beginning when Cotton's trying to get home and like he turns off of Vine and then he's heading the opposite <laughs> direction. Like, it's cool. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's something really, I don't know, it's just pleasing to me to like recognize shit in movies. Um, speaking about pleasing and that house, I just forgot to mention it what worked. The massive explosion of the house <laughs> is so good. <laughs> This one of those it's pretty good. It's just one of those explosions where like there's explosion happening in every inch of the house. You know, it's just yeah, no <laughs> so satisfying. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, but that's it for me. Great. All right, Tim. Well, until Scream Four, that's it for Scream for now. Do you have a uh, recommendation for this week? Ooh. Do I have? Yeah, sure. Since we kind of we touched on it, you should read a Raymond Chandler book. I want to. I was going to ask you. Uh, okay, what you the ones that I've read are Lady in the Lake. Just give us one, baby. Uh, the best one is Pra. Ooh, it's tough. Let's see. I think you should read The Big Sleep. Cool. It's so fucking good. There's a reason it's the recognizable famous one, huh? Yeah, well, The Long Goodbye and The Big Sleep are the two biggest ones, for I sure. I finally saw the movie The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould. <laughs> the book's quite different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, The Big Sleep, I think The Big Sleep was the first one I ever read of his, and I loved it. Cool. Great. I will recommend Dead. I watched, from 2005, Pride and Prejudice. It Did you now? So good, Tim. It was so good. I'd really? been wanting more. I loved Little Women. And, uh, um, this one, it, it was, it was, it was so great too. Like from the opening shot of watching this sunrise happen is just, is just gorgeous. And the way this, um, I was going to say this and little women, but can just talk about this, the way it like brings you into the world and like the way the story plays out in these movies where it doesn't it feels like you're really living these lives and not much happen or uh, so much happens, but it's over. I don't know. It, it, it goes at a fun pace that kind of brings you into the world. Um, everyone in it was so much fun. Um, yeah, that was great. It was great. Just some really, really great moments too. Once you've, uh, watched this, like, uh, I don't know, however long it takes place, romance kind of, kind of play out. Um, I, I'm hoping to find more like it. I know you said you're not crazy about these period piece ones, but as I said, even though I don't seek out Westerns, the good, the bad, and the ugly, still a great, great film. That's one of my favorites. That's Anyways, fair. Anyways, uh, yeah, Pride and Prejudice, 2005. I'm so happy. Uh, it was so good. Cool. Great. Well, we did it. We did the trilogy. But Tim, even though Randy said that uh, this, if we're looking at a trilogy, all bets are off, and the main characters can die. All of the main characters did survive, Ooh. which means that we are not looking at a trilogy or the final film in a trilogy. Well, Indeed, shit. What should we do? Well, 11 years after Scream <laughs> and uh, almost 11 years ago now, but nine years ago now, uh, Scream 4 came out. I remember seeing it in theaters. I've seen it once since then, and I'm so excited to continue our screamathon or end our Me screamathon. Too, conclude our screamathon. Clearly never seen it and I have no idea what the fuck it is about. <laughs> cool. Great. <laughs> Maybe there's a barn in it. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, until then, folks, we do mean it in closing. Thank you so, so much for being here and for listening. Yes, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>